for today's conversation, uh, many of you know that our nation and our world has been in a serious um, crisis as it relates to how we care for the environment, um, how we care for all of God's creation. And today's conversation is quite special because we're going to talk about work that uh, two women in faith, two women of faith have been doing to help address the climate crisis. I also, uh, we're going to ground this conversation by the recent United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP27, that was held in early November. It started November 6th and it ran through November 18th or the 19th. COP, as you may know, stands for Conference of Parties, and it was a convening of world leaders who came together in Egypt to negotiate on strategies for addressing the climate crisis. Although COP27 has concluded, the decisions taken in Sharm el-Sheikh, where the convening was held, require all countries to make an extra effort to address the climate crisis starting now. Now, we, we do this not just because uh, our communities uh, need it and require it and because generations coming alongside us and behind us that they need it, but we also care for the climate and for the environment because it's a mandate, uh, it's, a, it's a creation care mandate and it's core to who we are as women of faith. So I'm very happy to invite several, uh, to speak with several women who have been leading in this charge. My first guest this afternoon is Ilka Vega, and she's the new executive for economic and environmental justice at United Women in Faith. Uh, many of you have met Ilka before, but just in case you don't know about her background, I wanna share that she holds a Bachelor of Arts in Sustainability, Culture, and Social Justice. She also has a BA in Business uh, from Southwestern University, an MS in Innovation, Human Development, and Sustainability from the University of Geneva. As part of her postgraduate studies, she worked on mainstreaming sustainability policies and educational resources, collaborating with different UN and international organizations, including the Office of the High Commission for Human Rights and the 2050 Today Initiative in Geneva. She's a graduate of Lydia Patterson Institute in El Paso, Texas, and since 2010, Ilka has been a community organizer on tra transborder initiatives in the U.S. and in Mexico. And in her role as community engagement specialist at HOPE, she assisted the humanitarian response for asylum seekers and guided advocate and interfaith delegations, including the International Sanctuary Movement and the Poor People's Campaign through the realities of the borderlands. Since 2016, she's attended the UN Climate Change Conferences and provided policy briefings for U.S. lawmakers and faith communities with Texas impact and climate action. Ilka, it's so nice to, um, to be with you, and it's also nice to share with our audience a little bit about your background. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be with all of you today. So, um, Ilka, you attended COP27, and I'm just wondering um, what that experience was like for you as someone who's worked in this field for many years. Thank you. Yeah, it feels like it's a while ago now with the new year. And by the way, Happy New Year to everyone. Um, it's quite an experience. Um, every time is different um, and always filled with emotion. 
Um, I think we go there with great ambitions and sometimes, you know, things go as we want. And a lot of times they fall short, perhaps of some of our expectations. And um, there's so many logistics and things happening at the same time. And there's thousands and thousands of people that are going. Uh, so I think this year it was 35,000 people from all over the world. And so it's truly an overwhelming experience in, in, in different ways. Um, and I was only there for the second week. So I'm really, uh, I can't wait to hear what Regina has to share later. Um, but when I was there, you know, you you hear big decisions taking place um, that are shaping not only, you know, things that are affecting our planet, but effectively our communities as well. And so it feels like a great deal of responsibility to be in that space and, and witnessing um, and also to the extent that we can influencing those decisions, right? Because we're advocating for our communities and climate justice around the world. So it's just very powerful and um, it also really inspires me to be surrounded also with very committed and knowledgeable persons um, and hearing also the testimonies of, you know, direct impacted communities and sharing their truth and the reality of the climate crisis. Um, and where, depending on where we live in the U.S., we might or not relate to some of those realities, uh, but they're very much happening. And so we have to um, be there to be present to do more to address them and also learn from there. So very yeah, a lot of feelings in that space. So, um, Ilka, um, has anyone in your friend or family circle attended a COP conference? Yeah, um, so different uh, colleagues, certainly um, previous supervisors um, at the High Commission for Human Rights, uh, where I was previously um, working, um, colleagues from different interfaith networks. So a lot of people of faith is very powerful coming together um, in those spaces and finding each other. Um, and of course, also through different COPs, uh, we get to meet, make, make new colleagues, uh, make new friends. Um, this is the fifth COP uh, that I've had the pleasure to attend. Um, so I've definitely uh, made some acquaintances. And I actually ended up um, doing my master's with a colleague uh, that I met before at COP24 uh, in Poland. And he's from Nigeria, and we ended up doing our thesis together. Um, so it's also it forms a place to form community as well. Um, and then afterwards, um, also some colleagues from my master's ended up attending. So definitely an opportunity where a lot of uh, people meet and, and very good place for that. You know, one of the reasons I ask you that question is because the worst effects of the climate crisis are disproportionately felt by women, by people of color, um, by children. And a lot of times I feel like our voice is not represented. And so I, I also would imagine that it takes a level of resources and connection to be able to travel outside of the United States to one of these convenings. So when you attended, did you feel the weight of, um, of representing you know, so many communities who are directly impacted by the decisions that are made at a convening of this, of this nature? Certainly, and the conversation about accessibility is definitely one to be had in this big events, right? Because we want to make sure that those that are the most impacted are really centered in this conversation, which is unfortunately not always the case because of the high prices, because of the availability um, of you know uh, spaces to be hosted um, and, and different logistical and, and different forms of challenges. Um, so going there it definitely feels like like a big responsibility. And as a person of faith, you know it's imperative for us to be represented United Women in Faith values or faith values, uh, but also be in solidarity with communities around the world. Um, that are suffering uh, from climate-related disasters. And as a young person, you know, you know right away that the decisions that are taking place there are dictating 
our future, my, the, my generation's future, but very much our future also right now. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves that um, either the action or inaction that is taking place in this space is affecting us right now. Um, and of course, also, you know, being very aware as a woman that um, representation of women continues to be uh, an issue in this um, in this event, particularly, you know, in the negotiating spaces. And so holding that space still feels very relevant. And as a woman of color, you know, coming from border communities where the global north and the global south meets, um, you know, from communities with higher vulnerabilities to the climate crisis, suffering from environmental injustices and also historical marginalization, um, I think... Uh, feels like a lot of responsibility to come into that space, but then also be present there um, and be in solidarity also with other communities around the world, uh, particularly the global south, also suffering uh, from climate from the climate crisis and simultaneously also from um, the ways that it exacerbates other inequalities and injustices. It's also very powerful, and so um, I think in a way holding that space and and being connected by our wounds as uh, border theorist and Saldua would say perhaps, or once being connected by, by our struggles, I think it's also very powerful to be there um, and be accountable with each other and supporting each other's um, struggles and efforts. Um, thank you for that insight. So for those of us who weren't able to go, we're living vicariously through you and we'll also live vicariously through our next guest. Can you tell us what happened? What were some of the agreements um, that were reached you know, while you all were there? Yeah, certainly. Well, there's a lot of things that that happen at COP, and it's impossible for one person to cover the many different areas that happened. Um, there's the negotiations. There's also side events. And, and feel uh, free to share like what resonates for you or what stood out for you as you think about a report out. You know, feel free to share like what was particularly resonant for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of things happening. So I'm going to share a few things that we were following closely. Um, in, in our capacity and, and how it relates also to our Just Energy for All campaigns at home um, and the role that we also uh, play as United Women in Faith, a global um, organization. And so, you know, something that has been always very close to faith communities, including us, has been loss and damage, uh, acknowledging that loss and damage. And um, we saw that one of the negotiations at the very end, uh, and by the grace of God, <laughs> literally, uh, we were able to manage to pass a loss and damage fund that was agreed by the countries. And that me what loss and damage means is basically acknowledging that communities are already experiences, experiencing damages and losses, permanent losses due to the climate crisis. So there's monetary losses and there's also non-monetary losses, right? There's human capital that has been lost due to the climate crisis. And so acknowledging this, um, had been uh, an issue of the faith community because for the longest time we didn't really have a, a funding mechanism or any way to acknowledge these losses and support countries to to rebuild to address some of that losses. Um, and so, the 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 finally getting the fund done was a huge win. Um, definitely not an easy one. So I think that's very telling also. Um, of some of the work ahead uh, that we need to do, but it was a win of some sorts. Of course, we would have liked more, like, you know, higher pledges, more ambition, especially to meet our 1.5 targets. There was actually um, some rumors that, you know, this might be altered due to the fact that the pledges were not where we need them to be, uh, to re reduce emissions to the amount that we need them to be. Um, 
And so thankfully, we were able to keep that 1.5 degree target that was agreed on during the Paris Agreement. Um, but we definitely need to make sure to make sure that those make do more to make sure that those pledges are adequate. And that includes um, phasing down and out of fossil fuels, which unfortunately, um, you know, in the past COP at COP26, the parties had endorsed a call to phase down of unabated coal power. And there was conversations in this COP that perhaps we could extend that to all fossil fuels, not just coal, either to phase out or at least phase down. Um, and unfortunately, that with much discussion and even support from many different countries, that was something that was left out of the text. And so that's still something that we very much need to uh, need to push. But there were some other advancements, right, in terms of uh, the Santiago network um, and hopefully it becoming operational by the next COP. Um, and then we also had um, a 3.1 billion plan to ensure that everyone around the world is covered by early warning systems, which are so important, especially when we're talking about how to mitigate this losses, right? Um, and so there were some there were some good outcomes coming out of those negotiations. And then of course we also set different um, side announcements and um, partnerships like public private partnerships also that are announced um, during the type of COP, but in terms of the negotiations, this were the outcomes that we were following closely. Um, you talk about the creation of uh, the loss and damage fund, and that's something that United Women in Faith and other groups have been ad ad advocating for. Can you talk more about the impact of the climate crisis on um, uh, frontline communities? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the experiences of them really vary right in some places we have like in the in the pacific islands we have rising uh waters and so we have you know many islands that are being lost so literally a lot of displaced people because they don't the land where they inhabited for millennia or thousands hundreds of years their ancestors is no longer um available and so a lot of internal displacement we're seeing in central america we also see um severe droughts um, that are exacerbated due to the climate crisis, which is also creating forms of displacement um, and different forms of, um, of of damage and losses that that countries are are um, experiencing. And so, there's actually a climate vulnerable group, uh, which is a particular group that this loss and damage um, fund. Uh, prioritizes for funding for some of these losses. And so climate vulnerability not only refers to those um, that are experiencing most of the disasters due to climate uh, change, but then also uh, that have some of the least resources to build back uh, when, cli when climate disasters do occur. And so acknowledging these vulnerabilities are very important in prioritizing funding for or creating funding mechanisms for them is very crucial um, if we really want to mitigate some of these losses and and. and, and, and payback for some of the knowledge, the losses that have already occurred, especially from countries like us in the United States that are historical um, emissions, uh, uh, emitters of green gas, um, like greenhouse gases, right, and, and pollution. So very important um, that that this fund was created and, and we need to keep an eye on it and support it. Okay, so... Um... Now that the the convening is is over, I know our work continues, and each each country has their own homework to do. I'm wondering um, how are how are we sharing some of the findings, some of the outcomes from the convening with um, uh, uh, United Women in Faith. So so what's the plan for other than this you know this podcast? But how are we sharing like some of the next steps and ha and having I guess continuing the dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very, that's a very important point. And 
know, we have uh, we hosted a webinar as COP27 was happening. So trying to get members attuned because, you know, perhaps we were following other um, global events, but COP might not always necessarily be on everyone's radar. And so um, making sure that, you know, these important decisions that are taking place have also a platform so that people can access it and and, and learn more about it, but then also participate um, there's some resources out there. There's some events that are being uh, live streamed, and so people can definitely take part. And so, as we continue, as we get closer to the next cup, um, and then also for those who would like to review some of the decisions that have taken place, uh, we have put out some uh, resources on our website, um, and also by um, accessing our mailing list, you can keep up to date with some of the resources that we'll be putting out. Because um, I think you know, keeping um, Keep playing at paying attention to this process is very important to get more eyes on it because that invoices on it because it really brings more accountability into the process. You know, we don't want it to be this obscure thing that we don't know what they're doing because our futures are at stake, right? So we want to make sure that we're that our voices are being heard. Um, and so we're putting out those resources um, uh, and, and sharing as well. Um, and then also, of course, you know, making sure we're uh, contacting policymakers to let them know that we're not forgetting about the issues that were discussed uh, at COP27, that we're still thinking about, you know, how to uh, improve gender parity in these uh, negotiations, that we're thinking about loss and damage fund and how we're appropriating enough uh, resources for it and other climate uh, finance re uh, programs, and then also how we're doing adequate pledges to really meet our 1.5 target. And so continuing that engagement is definitely key. So um, Ilka, when we finish, can you put some of the links that you you just referenced so that you know folks have those? Yeah, most certainly. And and if I can add as kind of next steps um, uh, that we can do, and I don't know that's if you, that's where we're heading already, uh, but I want to make sure I don't forget. Um, in this in this continuation, um, you know, as doing part of our fair share for the United States um, and reducing, you know, at home it means reducing our emissions and really transitioning into a just and clean energy system, which is at the core really of, of what our campaign Just Energy for All uh, is seeking. And so it is core to our responsibilities um, and to our Methodist calling. And so it's very important that, you know, we continue to engage um, in that effort. And as part of that effort, one of the things that we're doing, um, it's uh, partnering with some organizations so that organizations and houses of worship that want to help in this transition or want to install green energy um, sources or um, equipment into their facilities, they can do so. There's money available through the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, and so we want to make sure that um, organizations and houses of worship have enough resources and information to access uh, these monies that, monies that are being, um, uh, being made available um, so that they can really make um, those installments and really help us transition also from the bottom up, right? Uh, because it takes everyone uh, efforts in, in these transitions. And so we're, we're making this available and we're happy to connect you uh, more resources. As a matter of fact, we just had um, a webinar uh, last year and I don't know if I'm able to write that on the chat, but I just want it. If you're curious about it and you want to learn more about how to access uh, some of this um, funding, uh, there was some preliminary uh, webinar that we did in partnership with other organizations. And so you can go there and watch it. Um, and I'm sure it will be interesting. It will be continued to expanding those resources and opportunities. Thank you so much um, for sharing that information. Final question for you before we go to our next guest. Um, 
you know, this, this work is not easy. It's absolutely essential and it's important for us to do um, for people who love uh, the environment, but also for people who take seriously biblical mandates. When you find yourself getting discouraged or when you think about your why, are there any scriptures that um, that uplift you or any scriptures that remind you of, of why you're doing this? And if so, could you could you share that? Yeah, um, I was, I mean, there's different scriptures that speak to me, um, but one that I had been recently reflecting on, and I think it's, has been just present with me, um, is um, Achaia 6, verse 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? Um, and I think it's very, very powerful and very relevant to remind us that climate justice is an act of of love, of putting our faith and love into action. And it's also about justice, right? Uh, when thinking of our historical uh, role as, as emitters, we have definitely profited from it. And so I think it's more than fair to say, okay, some of the goodness that we have created of it, we can share out of that abundance uh, with others that are suffering right now um, and helping them transition as well and also address some of those losses. And so that also relates a lot to um, our efforts to make the U.S. accountable, to um, contribute to our fair share to international uh, climate commitments, uh, including that loss and damage that we were just talking about. Um, and we actually have a petition that I would also like to share in the chat um, for everyone. You, if you want to take an action right now, this is something that we can do together. And, and, and feel so, free, oh. we do need to transition to our next mm -hmm. guest. So feel free to put it there. And then if Perfect. we can say it, for people who are listening to this, um, can you just describe where they can find the petition? That sounds great. We'll be sending out an email, um, and and I'll be I'll be so if you subscribe to our our mailing list, go to United Women in Faith or uwfaith.org, and you um, find our campaign on Just Energy for I. Servant Advocate. You can go to Servant Advocate, then Just Energy for All. Uh, and if you find there, uh, we'll be sharing more information on these petitions, and then also subscribe to your newsletter for more information. And for everyone else, thank you so much for uh, for having me. And well, I will hope to see you soon. And thank you for taking action today with us. And um, so Ilka, we'll ask you to stay with us. Um, feel free to to um, to just uh, join us in the. Uh, we don't have a green room, but if we had a green room, you could be in the green room right now. <laughs> <laughs> and now um, I would love to um, to introduce our uh, our next guest. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Regina Q. Banks. Uh, Regina Q. Banks is a J. Uh, she's a lawyer and she's a womanist climate activist and also a professional advocate for economic, social and political justice. She currently serves as the director of the Lutheran Office of Public Policy in California and chair of the Lutheran Social Services of Northern California. Regina is a proud alumna of uh, Valparaiso University School of Law and also Lincoln University in Missouri. She lives in her hometown of Sacramento, California, and in her spare time, she works on several social justice issues, including housing security, and also ending the corrosive influence of money in public policy. Regina, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. I'm really excited to be here. So Regina, before we start, I have to ask you, um, you describe yourself as a womanist climate activist. And I'm wondering, you know, for, for folks who've not heard that term, if you can tell us what that means. Sure. So 
womanist theory, womanist uh, theology acknowledges the intersectionality of the bodies that we live in. So I exist in the world uh, in a female body, in a black body, and that body is contextualized in a certain economic position in my community and in the world. And all three of those things uh, inform, contextualize, in some ways dictate how I am. You're on mute. How I'm able to, I'm sorry about how I'm able to exist, um, the privileges that I have, the, um, the challenges that I may experience. And other theories may, um, may work in some ways, but because of the, the particular body that I exist in, I have to acknowledge all of those things and several more. So I, um, the, the most inclusive term that I've been able to find is, is women as climate activist. And I, I will tell you that this COP has shown that to me more acutely than any other COP that I have attended. And this was, has been my, my third COP 27. Can you say, can you say why that is? Absolutely. So in Sacramento County, I, I live in unincorporated South Sacramento County, which today on January 5th is experiencing flooding. There is a bomb cyclone that has hit Northern California. And because of erosion in the area, because our waterways have not been properly cared for, my neighborhood, my, my community is being uh, un, unfairly affected by the weather systems that are happening in California. And when I am here, I work on those issues um, because it's my home and it's my community. And I tell public policy officials how our, uh, how our policies are affecting my community. When I go to places like COP27, when I go to places like COP27 or other um, conference of parties that I've attended, I am representing the richest state of the richest nation on earth. And so when other people see me, I'm an American. I am a, a unnatural uh, fossil. I, I use fossil fuels at a much higher rate than most other places on planet earth. I am part of the problem. And I hear people using the exact same arguments against me that I use to my public policy officials when I'm here in Sacramento, Cali Sacramento County or in California. And it is very acute. And I noticed that this time when I saw uh, climate activists who are from the global South um, imploring me to talk to my government. And I'm like, oh, oh wow, I've used that exact same phrase to my governor. Um, it, it, was, it, it was humbling and it was a, a teaching moment. Thank you so much for breaking that down and also sharing um, the the many the many layers. So I have to ask, um, what was what was it like to to go to COP twenty seven? Um, you know, bringing all of you in addition to what you just described, but but what was it like? And I say this because uh, I don't think that the average black woman um, will have this experience. I don't think the average uh, woman of color will have that experience. I don't think the average American will have that experience. And so I'm just wondering if you can just um, share a little bit more here. So the way that I explain the COP experience is that it is two things happening simultaneously. So there are high level negotiations between the parties, between um, governments that are parties to the United Nations framework. And that is the United States talking to Australia, talking to Nigeria, talking to Fiji. And 
if you understand what they're talking about, you can be in the same room, but you can't interject into that conversation. Those are parties talking to one another. Um, and there are very particular times where if you're a part of a constituency, I'm a part of the women and gender constituency. And so we get 15 minutes once a week to speak into those conversations. And it's very fraught and it's a very particular language of, um, uh, of diplomacy. And if you're not uh, familiar with it, it can seem very dry, very boring, but you know, lives are being affected in that room and you can only speak into it in a very particular way. Also alongside that is a world fair. It is, uh, if you've been to your state fair or your county fair, it's that. It is all of those same nations have booths and the United States had a booth, the, the, the um, US pavilion. And it's where our State Department was telling us what the United States is doing and Australia and Fiji and everybody else is doing their same thing. And it is um, business and industry trying to tell you how they're not so bad and, and we're trying our best as well. And there's civil society that has their tents and their boots. So you're able to walk around to the different pavilions and um, sit down for a moment and listen for an hour uh, to hear mayors and governors and business and industry and education talk about what they're talking about. And then you go over to another section and hear the high level discussions. It is a lot. You could spend six years in two weeks at, at a COP, right? Going to each of those um, different things. And so in order to break that down for myself so that I am not frazzled looking around at everything. I follow the women and gender constituency. I kind of try to keep my, my um, eyes focused on what will be um, best for women and girls, what would be best for women and children. Um, women and gender is also where LGBTQ lives in the UNFCCC uh, framework. So what would be best for those marginalized communities? And that kind of keeps my, my head in the game so that I'm not pulled in every direction. But Part of it is getting pulled in every direction. And so, you know, your, your question was that, you know, what is it like? Because the average person will not be able to be there. It's a lot. And it would kind of depend on what they were, were interested in, in hearing about. Thank you so much. Um, you know, when, when, when I was reading your, your bio and sharing with our audience a little bit about your background, there's a clear passion for justice in all its manifestations and in many arenas. And so I want to ask you the question that I, I asked um, Ilka, and, and that is when you, as you move through the world and you're doing this work, whether it's around climate justice, um, addressing the, the impact of money in politics or, um, um, you know, housing insecurity, I know that you, like you're, you're pushing up against powerful systems. So as you do this work, are there scriptures that you come back to and you can feel free to, you don't have to list them all, but is there anything that you come back to in the Bible that helps to support you or kind of gives you um, fuel for the work that you're doing and the calling on your life to be able, because I don't know that people wake up one day and say, I'm going to do, no, I think it's a call. <laughs> I think it's a call. So if you can share with us, are there any scriptures that help to bolster you or encourage you? It would have to be. And so it's, you know, I was, I was raised in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So hello, even though I work for Lutherans now, I, I do have a Methodist connection. And so, but it's only been in perhaps the last eight to 10 years where I have take, started to take my 
um, faith practice more personally. It's not something I do on Sunday morning, but it is something that I am. Um, and so I have a, a daily, try daily um, scripture reading practice and, and meditation and yoga. And so I find that uh, Holy Spirit gives me the, the scripture that I need when I need it. Um, I read it that day or I read it that night before or, or you know, and it, it happens to, to work just then. Um, but a scripture that I, that I find in a lot of different uh, of my environmental places is the 24 is the beginning of the 24th Psalm. And that is the earth of the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those that dwell with it therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the, the rivers that comes up again and again. Um, and so, you know, what I need tomorrow will come to me tonight or tomorrow morning, but over and over again, that that's there and available for me. Um, I love what you said about, you know, spending time with God and then God providing um, what you need in that moment. I love that because I think that there's, uh, there can, for those of us who may have ever experienced anxiety or who are wondering, you know, what will I do in this situation? Um, uh, you know, we will have what we need in those situations. So I love that reminder. A uh, question for you, you know, some of some of the people who listen to this podcast, they work with young people. And, you know, if there's someone who's listening and they work with lung, young people and they want to know, you know, how do I talk about COP27 with uh, the young people in my Bible study or the young people who I teach? Um, like, what would you what would you say? I would first start with what is going on locally, because the most interesting stories that happened that I heard at COP27 were about something that was happening in a small village somewhere, something that was happening in a neighborhood of a, a bustling city, and 10, 15, 25 people came together and made a small change for their community. So if I was working with young people, I would ask them, what are you doing at your school? What can we do in this five block radius? What can we do in the city of Sacramento or in Northern California? And then I would tie it to COP27 because COP27 can feel overwhelming. I've been there, I've been to three of them and it was overwhelming for me. I wouldn't want to start there with our young people because that's how you get overwhelmed and that's how you quit. That's how you, you decide that that's just too much. I'm gonna go you know, over here and, and, and do something else, watch some YouTube. So what is happening in your local area that you care about, that you can be invested in for a week, a month, a year? and let it grow organically from the bottom up as opposed to the, the big international meeting that you need, now need to fit your way into from the top down. I, I love that. Um, and then let me ask you, when you think about some of the outcomes from, from uh, COP27, uh, Ilka talked about the loss and damage fund. Does that come up for you as something that's memorable? And if not, you know, what would you share with us? Absolutely. I mean, I... I went with loss and damage fund on the mind because loss and damage fund is how women and girls are going to get the resources they need for the lives that have been interrupted, that have been changed, that have been damaged due to the climate crisis. So that was, that was my goal. That was what I was looking for. And it was an emotional roller coaster, right? Cause that happened not just late, but they had to extend cop in order to make it happen. So you know, I was there for two weeks and thought we were failing for 
one week and five days, right? So um, that is definitely the thing that I am I'm looking for. And in terms of next steps, I'm looking for the United States to pay our fair share into it. Um, and that is what uh, our colleagues in the global South are looking for us that are primarily in the United States. That's what they want us to do. Get your government to pay into this fund that we have now created. Make sure that it exists in the right place within the UNFCCC framework and that the money gets where it's supposed to be. And um, you know, we can get into the, the individual machinations of, you know, what the World Bank is supposed to do and what, but the, the long and the short of it is that we created the damage and we need to be prepared to, to pay in to be a part of the solution. And do you think that um, organizing on the ground here in the U.S. will help with encouraging the U.S. to pay its fair share? It's the only thing that's going to work. We had, um, congressional leadership, the staff from congressional leadership look us in the eye and say that there are no votes in international uh, relief. Like we could do the right thing, but it won't win us an election. And so that's not where we're gonna invest our time and energy. And we understand, and you're wrong. That's how I vote. I vote my values up and down the ballot. Um, and they need to hear us say that. They need to recognize that we are serious about those votes. We are serious about if you are um, inclined to donate into um, elections, that's where you're gonna donate your money. If you're going to volunteer in elections, that's where you're gonna volunteer your time on these issues because they're convinced that they cannot win congressional assembly, state Senate, gubernatorial races, caring about a loss and damage fund. Okay, so for um, for those of us who are listening to this podcast, what would be a logical next step? Is it reaching out to our members of Congress and asking them uh, or telling them that we expect them to support the loss and damage fund? Is it um, writing to you know state officials? Like, what would be a logical next next step? You and Ilka have spoken so beautifully, and also just really helped to explain the process. And, and so there could be people who are saying, I want to do something now. What can I do right now? How would you guide us? I would tell them the same, the, a similar answer to the one about uh, children in COP27, young, young, young people in COP27. There is something you care about already that you're doing. You've got a food pantry in, at your church. Um, your uh, congregation does a uh, migration ministry. You help um, uh, migrants coming from, from uh, borders. And there is a legislator who believes like you believe in and needs to be encouraged. So you tell them, hey, I've got a food pantry and I really appreciate that you have increased funding for food pantries. I'm going to support you in your next election. Or conversely, uh, I've got a food pantry at my church and you have made that more difficult for me. And I'm going to remember that um, when election times come and you start that conversation, you start that relationship with the legislators and policymakers that are in your area. And the next thing will generate from there. Um, and those were the stories that hit home for me at, at every COP, but particularly at COP27, those very local conversations with with mayors and assembly members and, and aldermen that are changing the world. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're, if, if you're listening and you, and you, you're listening to the live recording of this podcast 
and you you say yes, I'm going to do this. Will you just let me know in the chat feature by just saying yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna write uh, a letter um, to my elected official and just express my concern and also my expectation. So if you'll just put that in uh, the chat feature, and I'll I'll pause for a second while you're while you're doing that. I will say that calls and emails work as well. I was a former staff member in, this, in the California State Legislature and those phone calls, uh, those emails are just as good as the letter, maybe better because uh, it gets to them faster. Use, use all the tools. Great, I love that. You know, I also wanna share that sometimes we may feel that, um, well, what does my one letter, what could my one letter mean, you know? And I think about this in the context of letters to the editor. And I'll tell you something that I noticed. So I'm joining you all from Ohio this afternoon, Central Ohio. And I was working with a client and she wrote an opinion piece in our local publication. And it was on um, you know, the importance of investing in education, properly investing in education and moving away from funding models that were not fair to persons in poverty. So she wrote it, she, she drafted an opinion piece, she sent it to the local paper, it got published, I work with her on it. And do you know that one of our, one of our state senators emailed her to, uh, I'm sorry, he mailed her a letter to tell her to say, thank you for raising your voice. She sent me the letter and I was like, wow, that's pretty great. I go on about my business, totally forget that. And then we did a Faith Talks podcast on um, uh, the Indian Child Welfare Act. We talked about that. and. Uh, we had several phenomenal guests like you and Ilka, and I was so moved that I wrote a letter to the editor as soon as the, pod the podcast ended. I, it was published in my local paper here in Columbus, and the same senator sent me a letter basically saying thank you. So people, they do listen, and I'm not saying that this, this is the extent of our advocacy, but these things matter. So thank you for, um, thank you for lifting, uh, lifting that up. It's not the extent of our advocacy, but I will tell you that every state house and the federal government, those those policymakers know the math. So in, in California, when I was working there uh, 15 or so years ago, for every email that came in, that was 5,000 people. Like the, the thought is most people won't do it, but the person who does it speaks for 5,000 people. The person that comes in represents 7,000. The person that um, votes represents, I mean, and each state house knows what their math is. So it's not, it's, it is just you, but it's not just you. You're, you're helping all of us. You're representing all of us when you speak. Love that. Um, okay. So, you know, COP 27, that was, that was last year. There'll be another one in, in November because it's annual, right? right? But for people who are saying, listen, I may never be able to leave the country, but I want to get together with, uh, with like-minded people are there any events in the United States where um, persons who care about the climate crisis and environmental justice can come together? Well, if you're in the state of California, we're going to do our uh, Lutheran Lobby Day. That'll be on May 17th. So you're more than welcome to join us in Sacramento. Um, and uh, But there are, are lobby days that are available. Make your own. For, for your congregation, that is, that's literally what my call is at, at LOPP, um, which is to lead our congregations in their uh, advocacy faith walk. So I work with congregations to go as a church to the state house, go as a church to the city council and have their conversations. Um, I would also encourage you, um, ours is Lutheran Disaster Response and uh, uh, World Hunger. Those are 
um, we're, we were talking at COP27 about having a loss and damage fund. And churches have been doing loss and damage funds for a long time. We call it charity. Um, and so our organizations are actually pretty good at that. Contact your organizations and find out um, is there an opportunity to serve on uh, the, the granting board that decides, you know, where the where that grant money goes and um, being able to um, speak into that process that's more local. I want for our people to think more local, um, more at home, because it's, it's got to be from the bottom up. Uh, love that as well. And I do want to just remind folks that the Texas legislative event is January 29 through the 31st. It's in Austin, and you can also join via Zoom. And I know that Ilka is going to be one of the speakers for, um, for that event. Uh, Yvette Moore just put a link in. And for those of you who are listening, you can go to texasimpact.org uh, backslash event backslash Texas hyphen united hyphen women hyphen in hyphen faith hyphen legislative, hyphen event, hyphen 2023. That was really long, I know. Um, so before I open it up to audience questions, Regina, are there any final thoughts that you would want to share with us about um, COP27 or just this broader body of work? That I, I mentioned that for, I came looking for a loss and damage fund. I was concentrated on that and it, I was there for two weeks and felt disappointed for a week and five days. And that's real. Um, and the, the world is united in that frustration. The world is also united in the fight, right? Um, I, I want, feel the frustration. The frustration will, will, will gird you, <laughs> will, will move us all forward, but also feel the connection across the world. Right. Also feel that there are people in corners of the world. You may not even you'll never see them. You may not even hear about them and they are working for your good. Mm. And so you have to work in your corner of the world that they're never going to visit and may never hear about and work for their good. Mm. Um, and you can feel connected and and warm and joyous about doing your piece. Mm. You know, um, what I want to add to that is that all of us, we see so much, um, we see so much bad. Uh, we see so many things that are unjust, but the good in this world, it is because of, I really believe this people of faith and people who refuse to take no for an answer. So I am hoping that we will not underestimate our power or dismiss our power as individuals, but also as the collective. Now, you won't see this on the front page of many publications. You won't see it on social media. But I think when people of faith, when uh, women of faith are devoted to doing what it's right, we can make a difference. And history has shown when we've made differences. So I hope that we will not be discouraged. Um, before we wrap up, if you have any questions for Ilka or for Regina, go ahead and put those in the chat feature and I will, um, I'll answer as many as we can. I do want to note that I saw someone mention that um, uh, having some kind of resource that shares contact information for legislators uh, could be helpful across the, across the country. So I just want to name that. Um, I also saw someone mention or someone request a transcript from this conversation. And Amanda, I don't, we don't have a transcript, do we? Yes, actually we do. Okay. Uh, if you click on the three little dots next to um, your chat, 
you should be able to save the chat. Or if you go into um, your captions, you should be able to pull a transcript. I can also send one out for everyone. Thank you, Amanda. So um, any, any final questions for, um, thank you, Ilka, for putting in where we can find our legislators. That's very helpful. Um, they will regret that you shared that. <laughs> but thank you for putting it in there. Um, I also want to, um, uh, Ilka, do you have any final thoughts before, as we're waiting to see if there are any questions? Well, I just shared in the chat as well. Um, our petition for the U.S. to do the fair share of contributions. So still grateful for your continuing support because it's very important. And as Regina said, you know, we have to we have to work it out front. We have to make sure we're holding our national elected officials accountable or Congress. And we're making sure contacting also the White House so that we keeping uh, our commitments abroad. But then also it's a lot of local work that we can do and a lot of education work that we can do, educating about what's happening in our communities and we can be in solidarity. Um, and there's a lot of intersectionality in the climate justice work. And so definitely bringing that into the spaces that we're already working, very, very crucial uh, to advance this work of, of justice. So thank you all. Thank you. Um, and I see a question, is there a, a divestment push as well? Is there a divestment push as well? Absolutely, um, especially from fossil fuels. Um, and you know that's not an area that I follow particularly closely, but it is definitely a thread that was running through through um, the COP. Another question that we received: Is there a list of churches who receive funds and what changes they made to their church? There was a community in Illinois, if I'm not mistaken, that had applied for one of our um, seed, um, seed grants um, for, for from the Just Energy for All campaign um, to install solar panels in an education facility that was associated with, with the congregation. Um, and so they, they've been able to successfully uh, implement them and they're in the process of, of getting their story out. And so I think uh, we'll be partnering with them to, to give more, share more of their voice. And there's other communities as well. There's many communities around the state that are, that are creating uh, different forms of changes and receiving different funding uh, for um, access for, you know, green investments for, um, especially around renewable energy equipment and also energy efficiency materials in their facilities. Um, and so we're hoping to compile those and share them so that other churches can see those and be like, hey, those are a community like mine, I can do it too. Um, or if they have questions about things that they're wondering, uh, considerations to be had that they can also learn from them. So we'll definitely keep you posted and um, be sharing those stories in our newsletter. And Susan, thank you for the reminder. Um, uh, one was the Leslie Bates Davis neighborhood house uh, and they started installing solar panels in East St. Louis. And I remember that because um, I think we may have done a press release around that and, and work with them. So thank you, Susan, for, for the reminder. Um, so we are just about at the top of the hour. I wanna thank you all for joining another episode of the Faith Talks podcast. It's been great to be with you. All right, so here's to another great year of Faith Talks uh, podcast. We will be back. And Regina and Ilka, it's been great to be with you all and to learn from you. I, I feel so much smarter just having sat in this conversation. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm.